six-figure developer podcast the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies professional development clean code career advancement and more i'm john calloway i'm clayton hunt and i'm john ash with us today is mo hampton mo is an army veteran and software engineer her passion for web application development led her to the open source community to learn full stack javascript welcome mo hi (laughs) how's it going it's going great thanks for asking why don't you go ahead and give our audience kind of the story of, of how you got into software development and how you got to where you are today? Sure, no problem. I mean, um, I am considered a career pivoter. I did uh, a career pivot into software development and engineering about three years ago. I am a Army veteran, so I went to the Army, went into military intelligence and Shortly after leaving the Army, I became a government employee, which was amazing. It took me to great highlights like Japan and even to the Pentagon. And I loved writing policy for the Army, just Army-wide. That was a nice experience for me. But it was a job that I was always assigned. It was nothing that I actually had a passion for. So, of course, I'm going to tell my age a little bit here. I loved anything web development back in the day, especially with my MySpace page. You know, I had glitter coming down my page. It was was a fun time for me. And I kind of got caught up in that. And then I built like uh, websites for my friends. And eventually I said, you know what? Uh, Coding boot camps are really booming right now. I can try it. And I went to, um, in North Carolina, I went to University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, coding boot camp. It took about six months to get through that. And I decided... I would do that part-time as I still work full-time. If I if it really stuck with me, then I would go ahead and make that big jump into software engineering. And lo and behold, it worked. I loved it, and I haven't turned back since. So after that, I quickly got a front-end developer position, and now I'm currently being a software engineer. Nice. That, um, that uh, coding camp job change story seems to be becoming more and more frequent. It's, uh, it's a pretty cool story. I, I love it. I love that there's a lot of other ways, especially when we talk a lot about um, having more diversity and inclusion, especially in um, software engineering or in STEM jobs. I think those doors need to be open, especially when they say that they want things that are diverse. Then that means you have to look into an avenue that's non-traditional. And I think coding boot camps is one of those non-traditional ways outside of you know self-learning. Very cool. Very cool. And I know that you've been uh, presenting quite a bit these days and, and we're all kind of remote and forced to go virtual. One of the programs or one of the, the talks that I saw online on YouTube was giving back to tech without burnout. We've been talking a lot about burnout these days, both on the podcast and, and when we're doing our live coding on Wednesdays, because it's just so much additional stress not being able to have our, our outlets, our community meetings and, and social gatherings and, and those types of things. Do you want to dive into that or, or what, what the feelings around that are? Yeah, well, I did the talk because I felt it happening. Like I said before, I jumped into um, being a software engineer because I was passionate about it. 
And with passion becomes, you know, it becomes like a way of life. When you become very passionate about something, you kind of dive head in and you just want to do it all day. And that's what happened with me and coding. I was getting to a point where I was coding at work and then I would come home and do side projects and code. And then I would volunteer and code and, and teach girls how to code. And eventually it came to a point where I was like, I felt I was on the brink of this is not going to be healthy if I keep going at this tempo. There has to be some type of um, stoppage or some type of rest. So I just researched about burnout. I saw a lot about um, job burnout mainly, but not so much volunteer. But there was just one Harvard Business Review that I looked into that kind of gave a little tips. And it's more about givers burnout, which is the same thing as volunteerism. Mm -hmm. And I just took tips from that. And I thought it was vital to share that because I can't be the only person experiencing it. There's no way. And it's actually good that you mentioned now how things, because I feel like everybody is more in their bubbles or their social circles that they kind of got used to during quarantine. And it's been a little more unique now these days. I thought I was more of an outdoorsy person at times because, you know, being in the army, I had to be in the field. I had to deploy, go and pitch a tent eat MREs or eat meals ready to eat. Um, so I was used to being outdoorsy, but I became very outdoorsy during quarantine because now this is like my main outlet to not experience burnout. So it's more of meditations, hikes, even if it's just going to the pond with my family members and feeding the fish, it's just that break. So if there's any silver lining with this quarantine right now and trying to navigate through burnout, I would say I now appreciate our natural uh, resources, our uh, parks that we have that are free to us, our recreation, recreational areas. And I really love tubing. I just want to throw that in there. Tubing's probably the best thing ever now. You just get on your little floaty, you have your little cold drink, and just two hours, just relax. And there's nothing you can do about it. You just got to float down the river. Just got to relax. <laughs> I used to do a lot of tubing with with friends back in high school, but that was uh, more than a few years ago now. So we're down, Clayton and I are both down in the Tampa, Florida area where it's pretty warm these days and high humidity. I try to get my son to go out with me and, and go for a bike ride or just walk around the neighborhood. And, and even he doesn't want to get out. Uh. Um, so it, if it's not raining, then sometimes we can jump in the pool and, and just decompress a little bit that way. But I still have family up in Kentucky and, and friends up there that I, I sometimes jump on video conferences with them and, and maybe play some social games over the internet, which is different enough from the day-to-day in the, during work. It's jump on a video call and, and work with our coworkers on, on video. So uh, it's a little bit different socially, but I don't know, maybe, maybe different enough that, that we're getting to uh, forget about work items and and more spend time, at least virtually, with those. Yeah, and you're giving that point of relaxation or that um, reset. So you're not just continuously doing the same routine thing. And then sometimes it's just shutting it out, like just shutting out all technology and playing a game of Uno or journaling or just anything different. Because the last thing that you want during a pandemic and during financial hardships and social unrest right now is to actually go through a mental health issue at the same time. All those things compounded is just not healthy for you and your physical and mental state. You just want to try to slow things down so you can avoid those things. Earlier, you, you, would, you talked about burnout like, like you managed to avoid it. Is that, is that accurate? 
So I guess I have to really think about like how far in it. I think I was probably probably toe deep into it because I felt the stressors and I knew I had to do something, but I didn't feel engulfed in it. I didn't feel like I couldn't have any control, but I felt the stress to the point where it was what I thought I loved doing did not feel like it was enjoyable anymore. Like it was, it was getting to that point and I was like, okay, if this is what I love doing and I did a whole career pivot, something's not right right now. So I need to assess this or pull back a little bit. And some of the tips I give is like, ask your, your people around you because sometimes it's hard. I mean, everybody knows the quarantine 15, right? So every day I've been stuffing my face, walking by a mirror and I don't really see it. And then one day you're like, whoa, whoa, why didn't anybody tell me that I was getting this double chin here and I was eating too many Twinkies? Nobody told me this, but it's kind of like the same thing with that burnout. It was it was building up, building up. I didn't notice it, but I said, in one of my talks, I said, you need to just reach out to your friends and ask them like, hey, have you seen a difference in me? Am I seeming like the same or am I more stressed out? Am I a little cranky towards you guys? Am I you know, a little short with what's going on? And as long as you open that door for a little bit of criticism, <laughs> you got to be open to it. People will let you know. They would say, yeah, I think you might be doing too much. And they give you the honest feedback. And then you can take that back and do some self-reflection and see how you can navigate through that. Yeah, that's that's extremely self-aware of, of yourself. Uh, I think I think most people are way into burnout before they realize that that they're there. So that's that's um, incredibly I can't think of the right words, but like just the, the level of self-awareness that 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 must have that must have involved is crazy. And it's got to be difficult, too, that it looks like you do a lot with the community. We, we do a lot with the community. We run a, a meetup as well. And uh, I like to volunteer. There's a, a local code school in town that I like to, to help in any way that I can, whether it's mentoring students, potentially, whether it's helping shape and, and mold their, their curriculum. So it, it's difficult to find that balance because, you know, I have a lot of nervous energy and, and I feel like I need to be productive and so I'll volunteer to do something or I'll take on an additional project. And there's a very thin line of that delicate balance that I'm feeling productive, I'm feeling productive, and then I'm feeling overwhelmed. And then I need to drop out of something that I've committed to, or I need to potentially disappoint uh, an organization or, or a user group or, or something that I've committed to. It sounds like it's kind of like giver's guilt, <laughs> like you want to give, mm-hmm. but then you feel guilty because you don't think you're meeting the um, the goal of whatever organization that you're given to. But honestly, it's whatever you give, people are grateful for. Mm-hmm. And they're even more grateful if you're very honest and you're saying, hey, these are my limitations. I can only do an hour. Or if something changes, they understand that, especially when it comes to volunteerism and people coming into the organization, it's kind of built into their business of knowing that people aren't going to be able to 100% give the whole time and that there's going to be give and take. And there's going to be, when you do that, honestly, you have to think of it, when you pull back, you think of it as you're giving others a chance to step up. So when you pull back, you're giving another person an opportunity to kind of fill that same goodness that you feel when you give them back. So now they have opportunity to give back too. I think I think that part can be extremely difficult. I know a lot of us have this um I don't know, it feels like an immense pressure to to always say, yes, I can do that. Like if you're if you're married and your and your spouse asks for something, you you don't want to say no. If if you've got children and they ask for something, you don't want to say no. And obviously you don't want to say no when your job asks for something. So 
with all of those pressures to just go, okay, yes, I can, I can do this next thing. And then maybe you've, you've volunteered for an open source project or, or helping out uh, somewhere. And they ask you if you can do this one little extra bit, you know, that, that pressure to go, yeah, I can, I can do that can be really strong. Even if you've realized that you're, you're at that point of burnout, how do you convince yourself that it's okay to say no? I think you have to go in there knowing that it's going to be okay to say no. I, I feel like I'm giving a lot of analogies here, but just like when you go into a marriage, you kind of know going in that it's not going to always be rainbows and raindrops and unicorn kisses and all this other stuff. There's going to be times where we're going to have an argument where we're going to be upset at each other. So you go in with like, not, I wouldn't say exit strategy, like a, a, a de-conflict like kind of meditation. Like, you know, like if we're going to get into this argument, these are things that I have to kind of deploy my uh, parachute to get out of this safely. So we can all do it right. So it's kind of like when you go into volunteering, it's, I know there's going to be times where I'm not going to be able to volunteer and there's going to be times where I'm going to be able to say no. So it's part of that inner reflection of what can I give? What do I feel comfortable giving? And when do I say no? If you can't say no, I wouldn't even try to go into it until you are comfortable with telling people, these are my boundaries. This is as much as I can give. And I have other um, competing priorities sometimes or commitments, and I might have to pull out. But what I would do as an individual so I could feel comfortable with saying no is I would make sure that my no's are at least a week or two in advance. I would make sure that my no's are where I can try to find an alternative resource for them. If I can't, then I would, I would at least try to point them in the right direction. But if I can't, I would just be honest and forthcoming with it. But I, I feel like you might give, it's more burden to say yes to something and then last minute say no or to not fully be committed and carrying out some a volunteerism act and it fails miserably because you just aren't 100% involved. It feels like there's some context that, that needs to be taken into account. Like, like if, you're, if your boss is, is on you and wants, you, wants to commit you to something, then, then maybe getting to the, the position that you can say, no, I, I don't feel comfortable committing to that. If it's something that I, I'm interested in that I, I would like to do, but don't have the time, maybe it's I would like to, but I, at this time, I just don't have the, the bandwidth to, to do that. What about those opportunities that, that you do want to commit to? What about getting involved in the community into an open source project? What, what kind of mindset do you need to take, especially in this stressful time up front so that you can position yourself to, to take those considerations in, into account? I guess it's number one is like, what are you doing this for? Are you doing it to build community? Are you build, doing it to build your skill set so you can be stronger in something and eventually give back more? Are you doing it to um, build a social circle with your friends and make sure that everybody is giving back? Like it's something that you want to do as a group because you feel that's essential. Um, I think that's your mindset going in is like, what is, what is my reason for doing this? And it can't be, I mean, we love to say, oh, you have to be passionate about this. You have to be, pa-. I just said it myself, but it's not just always about passion. It's also about what is the return of investment that I'm going to give to this? Like, why am I doing this? Like, for example, I knew for me, it was, um, it was very integral that I did something that gave back to 
the little Mo in me. Like, what would I have done if I was a child? I would have been more successful in life because I felt that I was at a disadvantage growing up and I had to do things a little bit harder. Like, how would I make it easier for the younger version of myself? And that's why it was so easy for me to say, I'm going to do Black Girls Code. That's easy. I'm giving back to a community that I, I know and I love. And I, I know that it could give some goodness because I would have loved having that as a child myself. So it's it's what you feel is your end result in it and what you think your return of um, investment would be, or if it's for a community, if it's for a, uh, a current event that just happened that you're trying to rectify, to assist with, or if it's just to build generational things for, you know, later on for people like you. When I was much younger, I would, I would say yes to everything. I was <laughs> eager. I was energetic. I, I had energy to spare. So I, I wanted to make sure that I said yes. I didn't want to miss out on any opportunity for, for knowledge, for growth, for entertainment, for excitement. These days, as the gray hairs are, are making themselves known and, and I'm feeling it a little more, I want to make sure that I'm freeing myself up to say yes to the things that are the hell yes, instead of unfortunately saying no, because I've already committed myself to these 18 other things. It's a prioritization, like just figure out things that work best for you. And you know, what you feel like is your biggest bang for the amount of time that you can be able to give back. That said, are there any particular open source projects that, that you have gotten involved with or, or have played around with in, in the past? Because I know Years ago, I, I tried to commit to to contributing to an open source project that I enjoyed. I joined the Slack channel and was immediately bombarded by the thousands of messages that were coming in because it was such an active project. Are there things to look for when, when trying to contribute to a, an open source project? Yeah, I mean, for um, most people, you want to, if you're going to start Newbie, there's, there's a new track that you can go into. I think GitHub has been very uh, welcoming with that now. And they even have tools now. You can go into, I can't remember the site at the top of my head right now, but it's within GitHub. And it kind of walks you through. It's uh, an automated bot they have. And it walks you through like doing your first uh, pull request and doing your first commit and how that works and how to look for an open issue. And there's a couple other websites that will give you like my first open source commit. And you can just search that on Google and it'll help you walk through that. Um, one of the things I like to tell people, especially code newbies, when they go into open source projects is it, it does, it is intimidating. It's not going to be easy at first. You're going to feel a little like overwhelmed going into it. It almost feels similar to um, Stack Overflow, where you go in and you have all these uh, geniuses in there and you're afraid to ask something very simple if it has been asked and your reputation points. It feels similar to that, but open source community, especially within GitHub, is a lot more welcoming. So it's okay to do that. Um, I would suggest, I mean, I think we're coming around that time frame now, so it's good to get started for it. But in October, we have Hacktoberfest. And that was the easiest way. And that's how I started. And my um, first commits and pulls, if you would ever go into my GitHub and don't do that and look at them, <laughs> <laughs> it's more like grammatical corrections within the HTML or replacing something within the CSS. Nothing complicated, but just things so I can kind of figure out how does this system or this workflow work for me to submit a, a change into uh, an open source. So I would suggest... Initially, if you're going to try, probably the most welcoming time is doing Hacktoberfest 
It's hosted by DigitalOcean, and they are great at doing it. Oh, and you get swag. I forgot about the part. You get a free T-shirt if you do five uh, pull requests within a month of October and stickers. So it's a little uh, welcome in there. But um, you can also look, I think right now, COVID is huge, especially if you're into data science. You can be able to assist with COVID. You just do a search on GitHub COVID and just look for those open um, issues that are lined out there and see how you can assist with that. Plenty of opportunity out there to, to get involved, to just help and contribute in, in any way possible, uh, especially with these days. It seems like all of the active projects have and need additional documentation. So they're more than willing to accept any contribution to their documentation even. That is true, because a lot of us engineers, we love to do the code, but we don't like to do the docs. It's hard to get to sit down and do documentation. Um, I just got to the point where I just do uh, GIFs all the time. I'm getting ridiculous with it. <laughs> or I just <laughs> film the whole process of screen capture. But yeah, documentation is a great way to contribute back to. Uh, people will be very grateful for that if, that, if that's a bare minimum if you want to do. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Stack Overflow. I, I've had fairly good success on Stack Overflow and, and not gotten the beat down by, by the moderators there. So I, I, I try to make sure that I'm, I'm very specific in what I'm asking. I'm, I'm apologetic because I know that some of the moderators, uh, at least historically, have been a little over eager, shall we say. Uh, I will say that John Skeet did reply to one of my questions in the nicest way possible pointing out that I was an idiot and missed, missed the, oh. the, the actual comment <laughs> in the nicest way possible. So um, there, there is hope there. So we can um, you know, look, look for the good in, in all of the platforms if we can. With that, are there other, we, we mentioned volunteer opportunities, choosing open source projects. Are there other avenues or, or other things that we need to keep in mind? I mean, you can always go on volunteer match. You don't have to stay within our little bubble of our world that we're used to because there are organizations that need assistance in tech, but they don't know how to use tech lingo or tech um, platforms. So go on like on volunteermatch.org and just search in for people that might need assistance in tech and just put in like maybe one or two keywords that you're very strong or you have skills in and you'll find other people, uh, other organizations to be able to assist with. And that's how I, I found um, Start Small, Think Big. And it's an uh, organization that helps underserve uh, business uh, owners that want to start up their business or want to be a founder, but they don't have the resources as far as marketing, uh, web development, or um, administrative, or understanding the legalese piece of making a business. So all volunteers come in to help them in those different pockets so they can stand up a business. And a lot of it's now, I think it's like mainly they're... Uh, outsourcing in um, California and New York and those underserved communities of uh, business owners. What types of things uh, are needed there? Is it putting together a website? Is it, is it technology items that, that are being asked for at that point? Or It all depends on what the business is. It can be putting together a website. It could be that they need an app that helps with their customers' asset. It can also be that they just need a designer. They need somebody to help them with logos and because they really are starting from the ground up and don't know what to do yet, but they want to do something to, to make their own wealth. So it, it sounds like one of these, uh, one of these businesses that you're, that you're speaking of might be something where you're kind of volunteering your time to start, but if they actually took off, I, I mean, have you heard of anybody maybe getting a job that way? No, not really, because these are really small. When I say underserved, they're like, um, 
a woman in Harlem that wants to sell her preserves just to make her own money because she doesn't want to live off assistance anymore. Like something that small, but I haven't seen it really grow that big. I think at that point, then they will probably do the same thing where they kind of look for talent to hire to do that. But it's just, a, you know, it's a feeling of just giving so they can be able to grow. And that's something that's irreplaceable. Okay. It's like a two-way street. Like you're given, but at the same time, you are strengthening your skill set. So it kind of works both ways. I mean, you don't go in thinking, oh, I'm going to become a professional, like a pro at this one skill because I'm volunteering. But at the same time, when you come out of it, you're like, oh, I kind of enjoyed doing that. That was something I wasn't used to. And it made me think differently, which is going to help me with another assignment or project that I have down the road. That's interesting. Those are the opportunities that I think I should start looking for personally, because I it, it'll make a difference, hopefully, for the the individual or the organization or the business that I'm contributing my, my time and expertise to. And it'll it'll go a long way to kind of removing or, or releasing some of that nervous energy that I have. And I think we're all that way. And I think um, when you volunteer and you know that you're going to have some output from that, you are more encouraged, like you're more pushed, like you said, John, to actually complete the project, to get it done, to get it out there. And not just let it be a thought or a side project or something fun. Yeah, I've, I've always said I'm, I'm a really good implementer, but I'm not a really good idea person. I have a few ideas that I start, but I, I don't think through them enough. I don't explore them long enough to, to find out more of the details and, and making it into a fully featured... Well, there's not a great immediate need right. at that time. Yeah. So there's no reason to really push and finish it. It's, it's good to have it there to start it up. Yeah. Yeah, but if I, if I've committed to an, an underserved business or some or something like that that it has that need and has a, their own vision that I can help implement, then I think that's the direction that I might want to go. Oh yeah, John's coming through. Then he's going to be obligated. <laughs> I'm landing. I'm doing that as well, just so I can have some somebody asking for software because I'm I'm in the same boat as John. Most of the time, I just code whatever John tells me to. <laughs> You did not say that with a smile, though. I could feel it's, that. I didn't feel a smile behind it. I felt like a little ellipses no joke, at the end just of that. Like, I just do this. <laughs> and you can watch it in action. Just tune in on Wednesdays. <laughs> nice. Repair program. See, I haven't watched it yet. I need to watch it. Okay. It's not super exciting, but we'd be glad to have you. You get the job done. <laughs> so what else? What what haven't we covered? What are the the things to, to keep in mind? The the opportunities out there that... that People should explore more. So we started about, you know, searching for what is a best fit for you and also what you think would be the best um, return of investment or the best that you can give back to your community. Um, Knowing going in to set your boundaries, to be able to say no, do not go in unless you can say no. If you can't say no, you're going to do a disservice to yourself and the organization or the people that you're volunteering to. Um, the other thing is to always have like an azimuth check to make sure that you're okay. If that is your journaling, if that is your self-meditation, if that is your your squad or your circle of friends that can be able to tell you, you look very inundated. There's a lot of things going on with you. Things are changing. You look stressed out. You need to take a, take a knee for a second. Then that might be it. Um, and then also there's just know that tech, tech isn't everything. I love tech. I love everything about tech. I love everything I do. I love my job. But you need to have other outlets. If it's hiking, if it's playing Uno, if it's going fishing, 
other hobbies or outlets are very vital to you being the best version of you and presenting the best volunteerism that you can. I think the most, the best tip is to make sure that you do have a nice support system. If that's one or two friends, if that's your family members, if that's a couple of people on GitHub or your Twitter community that you have and they know what you're doing, just putting things out there and getting feedback every now and then, they kind of re- take that time to reflect and readjust if needed. So with that, do you have any resources for anything that we discussed? Any links that we can include in show notes? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say, so I use volunteermatch.org. That's a, a very simple one that I went into. And then I just found what tech terms work for me. Like for me, it was JavaScript or web development or whatnot. All right. We'll add that and any of the other links that you give us to our show notes. One of the things that we ask all of our guests to do is to kind of offer up their words of wisdom to our listeners. What advice might you say to them or give to them uh, anything that you found helpful for your career? So I would say the thing that I think was most helpful for acceleration and my career as software engineer would have to be um, the community. And I know as cheesy as it sounds, that community really made a huge difference to me. And for me, initially, it was 100 Days of Code, uh, which is a hashtag on Twitter. And just putting that hashtag out there like a bat signal told people that I'm a newbie. I'm trying to figure out how to break into tech. And then I kind of got my little squad that saw that bat signal. And I started in Twitter. It was like kind of like a burner account. Not really, but I only had like seven people maybe following me. And I was probably following about five. And as soon as I started coding and I started putting out every day what I'm coding and started getting into that tech community on there, it just blew up really fast. And now I have like over a thousand people that follow me and I follow like over a thousand people. It's just, and it's actually very sucking in information every time I go on there. Things I didn't know, pockets of information I didn't understand before. And then every now and then there was actually one time where I felt and I didn't think I would have to experience it in my career now, but I did feel like a microaggression. And I can't really pinpoint it 100%, but I felt like I had said something and I was speaking and there was another developer who was just looking at me like in a glossed over look. And he repeated a couple of words that he said. He, he said, emulated. Da-da-da. Like he was saying a couple of words I just said in my, um, my um, talk to him and he, and he said, oh, those are big words. And I didn't know how to take that. I was like, I don't know where we're going with this, but we're both software engineers. I, I think we've got past the point that we know that we probably both know big words and we're probably going to throw them in conversation. But I went back to Twitter as, uh, and I didn't say anything to him personally at the time because I was like, mm, maybe, I don't know if I'm just taking this the wrong way. But I went back to Twitter. I kind of not putting out names, disclosing things, just asking the general question like, what is this? What am I experiencing? Is this uh, something that most software engineers experience it? Or is this something that's more because of who I am as a person, not because of my profession? And getting that feedback from people was eye-opening, but it was also very supportive to know that people have experienced the same things. And they gave me tips on how to navigate that. And so I could be the best developer that I need to be and go back and just kind of, you know, address it like a conversation or just to see if maybe that's just that person. They're just like that with everybody. I don't know. But just having that community that I felt I couldn't have that same conversation with family members and friends that aren't in tech. 
but I can have that same conversation with um, people who are black tech Twitter or people who are black software engineers. And I wouldn't normally have that circle because it's very rare that I see that in my office. I'm the only one. But having that community in Twitter, I was able to push out that question and within 10 to 20 minutes have like 20 responses of how to navigate it or if maybe, you know, I could sidestep that or what to do next time, but not to feel alone anymore. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I really enjoy the community on Twitter, specifically for, for tech Twitter. Of course, there, there are dark corners and, and bad actors from time to time. And, and but that's good. You still want that conversation to come up, too, because you need to know everything that's going to happen. Like you need to understand everybody's point of view so we can finally find like a middle ground. Right. Yeah. And I find that I, I learn more from the conversations that continue and kind of learn what those missteps are, what the the feelings involved in those conversations and, and what the positive outcomes of those conversations are. That and and the amount of support, like you mentioned, the, the 100 days of code, the amount of support mm-hmm. to those that are new to the industry is is really a breath of fresh air, because starting in the industry 20 plus years ago, there, there wasn't the, the technology that that put everybody together in a, a very quickly evolving conversation on the Internet. Uh, it's just so refreshing to see the amount of positive support that, that individuals get. It is. You have that stack overflow kind of like you kind of scared to go out there versus like the Twitter, which is kind of like I can say something and I know I'm not going to be the only one in this boat. And a, a couple of people might come up with a life raft. Well, since you mentioned social media, uh, for any of our listeners that want to follow you or maybe reach out to discuss something with you, would you like to share your your Twitter? Of course. I am on Twitter. I'm Moxie Hampton, M-O-X-I-E, Hampton, like the Hamptons. And uh, it's the same for Instagram also. I'm more active on Twitter than I am on Instagram, but because Twitter, you you know, you can just type something. You don't have to post a picture. You can move on. <laughs> well, all right, Mo. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. I really enjoyed it. I feel very honored that you guys even uh, took the time to have me on your podcast. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That was Mo Hampton. Mo is an Army veteran and software engineer. Her passion for web application development led her to open source community to learn full stack JavaScript. When not thriving off of coffee, meditation, or travel, she builds cost-effective, user-friendly business applications. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I am John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 